Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Neil Bridges, uh, CISO of Query AI, a long-time veteran in the industry. Um, I mean, looking at your bio, I see you've, you've held a bunch of uh, interesting positions, and you're also a podcaster. So, uh, you know, let's start by maybe talking about that. But if, before that, if you could stop, step in and introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, first and foremost, thank you so very much for having me on the show. And thank you to all your listeners. I really do appreciate it. Name's Neil Bridges. Um, as mentioned, I'm CISO at Query.ai. Been in the industry since well into the 90s. Um, did a stint, uh, a 10-year stint with the United States Air Force. Uh, you know, part of that was doing offensive cybersecurity or hacking for the National Security Agency. I've built and led numerous red teams uh, throughout my career. Um, I've built and led numerous cybersecurity teams, cybersecurity operations teams for a lot of Fortune 100s uh, throughout my career. Um, and yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, in the in the midst of the pandemic, I went ahead and decided to start a, a live stream uh, on Twitch and YouTube called Cyber Insecurity. Um, I've been given an opportunity throughout my, my career to, to be able to talk to people. I've been an instructor. I taught for the SANS Institute for five years. Um, and so I've always enjoyed talking to the cybersecurity community. And so when the pandemic hit, and obviously we weren't going to conferences, they canceled, uh, you know, DEF CON and Black Hat and, you know, uh, all the all the the normal places to speak were getting canceled. I miss talking to the community, and so I wanted to create a no BS. You know, I really wanted to talk about some of the the, the misconceptions that are in the cybersecurity industry. We we titled it cyber insecurity because there's a lot of insecurities inside of cyber when you talk to folks who have who are just coming into this industry. And we taglined it real conversations with real people, and we bring people in and we have straight talk with them about uh, about the uh, the industry. And so it's been a huge hit. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've, you know, you know, we've got a, a good solid following. We've got a ton of people on, on discord, everybody from people who are trying to get into cybersecurity all the way up to, to CISOs and CSOs and things like that. And, um, it, it's been fun and it's, it's been a passion project of mine, you know, for the last two years that I just didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate how much fun I was going to have doing it. Really? So you're doing it basically for fun. That's the, the underlying assumption that that's, that's, that's what drives you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I figure, you know, I think my thought process along it was, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in this industry. I'm a, I'm a rare individual who can, you know, can sit with the board and can explain business risk and why we need cybersecurity and how to invest money. Um, but at the same time, when I leave that meeting, I can go sit with my SOC analysts, I can go sit with my threat hunters, I can go sit with my pen testers, and I can put my hands on the keyboard and, you know, do the tactical level mission, you know, you know day in and day out. And I felt like that was worth sharing with a broader set of folks. And, and I've, I've just always really enjoyed being able to take everything that's inside of this head and be like, I, what do you want to know? I will tell you literally anything you want to know about this industry. And, and, and hopefully you can be better than me. I, doubt, I have no doubt that there's people that are going to be better than me, you know, you know, out there. And I can't wait to watch them like, like crush this. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's an admirable uh, mission. And, you know, I'm trying to do something similar. I'm, I'm trying to uh, create an OBS podcast, but specifically talking with CISOs and, and understanding how they got to the place that they got to. Uh, and you know this podcast is about you, not about the industry. There are a few, a few specific, you know, questions about the industry, but I'm sure you you're doing a much uh, in-depth cover of that. So uh, yeah, let's focus uh, on you right now. And if you know, before we get started, I always like to ask a couple of icebreakers. Although I feel like we've broken the ice already. Uh, if there is anything you can share about your marital status or any favorite drink, that would be great. No, absolutely. So I'm, I'm married to a wonderful woman. Um, I won't say her name. She prefers not to, not to, she, she doesn't like the public light the same way that I do, but, um, we, uh, you know, we, we met at a consulting firm and, um, she is also in cybersecurity. She's uh, leading cybersecurity for a huge financial organization. I, I couldn't be prouder of her. Um, and she's an amazing woman. And so, um, you know, if she does hear this, then, then I, I want to thank her and tell her that I love her, but, uh, you know, yes, happily married. And, and she's an amazing person. Um, and my favorite drink, um, I am, I'm either, it's really weird. I'm either an iced tea, unsweetened iced tea kind of person, or, um, I, I do like the bourbons. I do like bourbons. I, I, that's, and that's a new thing for me. Like it's only been like the last couple of years. Um, I used to be very anti-bourbon, but now I'm kind of getting into like smoky barrels and different yeah. types of taste and things like that. So there you go. All good stuff. Great. Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing. You know, if there's one thing, if you could, if you could sum up to like a single thing that you wish you'd known when you began your career, what would that be? Ooh. Um. <laughs> that's, that's a hard, that's, that's, that's a really a hard, hard one. one. It is a hard one because like there's, I think the I think my biggest transition from a career perspective was really going from inside the military to outside the military, right? And I, when I was inside the military, I had a lot of um, you know I was doing a lot of a lot of cyber operations for the Air Force. I thought the world operated one way, and so I said to myself, when I got out in the real world, I'm going to change the world. This the, the world can't operate the same way that it looks like it operates in the military. And so I got out of my first job and I was, a, I was a pen tester for a large financial organization and they had Windows XP everywhere. And this was 2013, 2014. So Windows XP should have been a long, long time ago. It should have been long out. It, should, it was well past end of life at that point in time. And I was like, and I saw all these, these end of life systems in, in production banking infrastructure. And I was like, no, this can't be reality. This can't be reality. And, and I remember fighting for almost a year against this big, huge monstrosity of a financial organization to, to get them to, to see the same thing that I was seeing about the world. And I realized that it wasn't them that saw the world differently, or I wasn't, it wasn't me that saw the world incorrectly. It was them that saw the world, you know, very, very much correctly. It's a risk-based world. You have to, you have to make risk-based decisions. You have to prioritize the business first. And I think that it was that switch of mentality that I think changed how I looked at the industry from that point forward. Okay, thank you. And you know, that's, uh, I've interviewed a, a few veteran CISOs and I always got the very similar answer to what you just provided, you know, that uh, switch in mindset, that's, that's, I guess that's something that uh, happens when you 
uh, get out of the military into uh, the civilian world. So uh, I, I, let me let me let me expand upon that just a little bit, right? Because I don't necessarily just think it's military to civilian. When I talk to a lot of folks who are coming into the industry now, on my own channel, I get a lot of questions like, "How do we get organizations to care about end of life systems? How do we get organizations to care about APT? How do we get organizations to care about zero days?" Um, there, I think that it's, I think there's a lot of folks in our industry whose mentalities think that this is so easy for me and it seems to be so easy to just patch vulnerabilities and it seems to be so easy to do these types of things. And I think that there comes an inflection point when you start to, to see the organization not as this tiny little you know, rose-colored you know, vision of what security is, but when you see your organization as the big, huge, giant, organic beast, if you will, that it is, and you realize that that there's more gears that turn in an organization than what I think you're, what most people think that they're that you're stuck with when you're in the security organization. Yeah, but you know, let me just ask you a follow-up question here because mm -hmm. I'm assuming, like the U.S. military, whatever branch you were in, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's also a monstrosity, right? It's also yeah. a huge, complex organization, and I I have to assume they also like a risk-based approach. That's not something that the civilian world has, has invented. Uh, I have to assume that you know, it's never an endless budget there. It's never you know you need to take some decisions. So like. Maybe you can explain here's, that. Here's, here's the cynicism of that, right? We expect it to be terrible in the military because it's government, right? I don't know if, you're, if you've ever heard or if your listeners ever heard this joke about like, well, it's government. Everything works so slow in the government. It's a big, huge, giant beast. You expect it to work slow. And so there's tons of jokes about the government that you're brought up, you're indoctrinated with when you spend 10 years in there. And you've got hundreds of bases across the globe and everybody does things differently. And so you're just used to seeing things is like, oh, well, if it's bad, that's because it's the government. That's why it's bad. You don't expect a, a trillion dollar company or a billion dollar company on the outside to be doing it the same way. And I think that that's kind of that nuanced difference is that we've grown up in the military to expect the government entities to be operating a kind of a, a poop show when it comes to, to <laughs> IT infrastructure and cybersecurity. You don't expect it out of the people you trust to run your financial backbone. Got it. Okay, great. Uh, if this is one biggest fa failure that you can think of, what uh, what is it, and one what did you learn out of it? Um, I I am guilty of perpetuating the try harder mentality, and and I I hate myself for it. Right, um, in my arrogance, in my youthful arrogance, coming out of the military, um, you know, obviously I've I've got my OSCP. I've done hundreds of SANS classes, not hundreds, but I've, I've taken the, the majority of the, the the SANS pen testing classes. It's one of the first adopters for like GXPN because um, you know I I was there when it was created, um, and and I very much created this mindset with myself that yeah, unless you're Unless you're out there busting your tail day in and day out, researching and studying about cybersecurity day in and day out, unless you eat, sleep, and breathe cybersecurity, you don't belong in this industry. Um, I very much drank that Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was something else that shifted in me. Um, and, and that was pretty recent. That was, I probably said that, that was like four years ago that that mentality shifted in me. Where, where I realized just how toxic that was. And I realized that that's not what cybersecurity is about. I realized that that's not, um, you know, we, we 
it's an ego thing that causes us to say that. We have too many egos inside of cybersecurity. Um, it's ego because we feel like we need to tell people, if you don't have 10 CVEs, you have no reason to be a pen tester. If you don't eat, sleep, and breathe cybersecurity, clearly you're not passionate about it, and therefore you can't be in this industry. Um, and I think that's my biggest biggest regret, if you will, was I, I wish I had I wish I had seen the light of how toxic that was earlier, and I wish I I wish I had branded myself around a, a less toxic and a less um, you know a, a more nurturing mentality when it came to, a, to to our industry. And I think that's my biggest when I look back. I wish I'd done that earlier. Okay, but is it toxic or does it uh, does it stem from you know wanting to be perfect? No, I think it's, I, I personally believe it's hundred percent ego. I think that we have, um, and, and I'll speak, I'll speak to, to, you know, some of the, 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 you know, the, the, the stigmas that we have in our industry, right? You've got folks who have come from an IT background, right? They were in IT before security was ever a thing. Yeah. So therefore they didn't really have a security job. What it was is they were like, Hey, we really shouldn't have password, password, right? Or we should really be patching our firewalls or we should really be shutting down RDP to the internet. Right. And so they had to learn all of that stuff on their own. When I wrote my first password brute forcer, um, I did it by reading my dad's um, Pascal book, which I had no idea what object oriented programming was or anything was at the time. I was, I was 16, 17, 18 at the time. Um, and I learned how to write a password brute forcer through basically pounding my head on the desk over and over again with no background, no Google or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a, I think that there is a large predominance of toxic people in our industry who personally feel like because they went through that type of pain, they went through that type of agony, they went through that type of trials and tribulations to be successful in this industry, that they must pass those trials and tribulations Got on the to younger people in our industry. And I think that's where we get this mentality that says you have to be this high to ride the cybersecurity ride. And it's literally killing the talent in our industry. Got it. Got it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been uh, following LinkedIn. So one of uh, my colleagues that I'm connected to, her name is Olivia Rose. She's the CEO of Amplitude. And she, she, she posted a few things around that, you know, recently about the, 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 the cybersecurity expectation of having like only superstars, only with minimum of five years experience and having all this, the, like this entire list of uh, certifications and whatnot. So, okay, got it now. Thank you for that. We do, we, we, we do have, I, I want to piggy, I want to take what you did say though. And I want to yeah. talk about, you are hundred percent right. We have a mentality that, that craves a certain you know, passion, right? You, you called it perfection because we want to be perfected in the industry. I think we have a, a set of folks, you know, a large predominance of folks who just generally love the intrigue and the mystery and the puzzle solving and the excitement and the day-to-day -day changes. There are new attacks happening every day. I give weekly threat briefs to people and, and I, and you know, you see five new ransomware variants in one day, right? You see some new company getting hacked, you know, a different way. You see some new vulnerability come out. And I, so I do think that we have a lot of mentalities in this industry that's like drawn to just the curiosity and the problem solving that comes with that. And I think that is healthy. I think what becomes unhealthy is when you don't balance that with the other aspects of your life and you let it consume you. And I think that it, it creates an abusive relationship with cybersecurity where you take these toxic mentalities, you match it with this desire to want to be able to solve the problems that exist out there and protect your organizations. 
And it just creates a very unhealthy relationship with, with whoever's in this industry and the industry itself. Got it. Understood. And what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Uh, I've, I've been able to make it this far in my career without a four-year degree. I, 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 I failed, I failed the, the, the societal norm check of making it to college when I was 18. Um, I, I was, and this was, this was in the early 2000s. I was part of the, the dot-com boom in the early 2000s. Um, I, uh, I was told I'd never amount to anything in my life ever um, because I didn't go to college. Um, my sister's got a PhD. My dad had a double E, you know, got really smart people in my family. I just wasn't one of them. And so I went into the military and even getting, even being basically handed the degrees that the military gives you just basically as participation trophies for showing up. Um, I struggled through getting those. And so I've been able to, to be senior executive leadership in some of the largest companies in, in America that have done some ama amazing things. Um, you know, you know, being able to give advice to, to, to hundreds of thousands of people through my YouTube channel, um, you know, working for you know, some great companies and ultimately becoming CISO of a great company like, like Query. And I've been able to do it without a four-year degree. And so um, that's a badge of honor that I wear. Um, you know, I've had, I've had companies, I've had uh, two companies that I've worked for, sorry, three companies that I've worked for who all had policies that said you couldn't be a senior leader without a four-year degree, all right exceptions to their policies to hire me. And to me, that's something I wear pretty predominantly to prove that, that I'm, not, I'm not here to say degrees aren't important and I don't want to bash on degrees, but there is definitely a segment of our industry where degrees don't carry the same weight as they do if you're a lawyer or an accountant. And I know I catch a ton of hate for this. I catch a ton of hate for this on my own stream. Um, but I, I fundamentally believe that that critical thinking piece about what it is that we do in the cybersecurity industry is not something that you're taught in, in college. It's something that, you know, you know, that, that you get through the, the act of, of execution in the cybersecurity industry. You know, that, that's, that's a great answer. And, you know, I'm really curious to, to hear what you have to say about my next question then. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, you can do it. Like, I think that the, the, the fundamental advice that I would give to somebody is you can do it. Anybody can do it. We've, we've, got, we've got hundreds of people on our channel that have, um, that have proven that it is possible for anybody to get in the industry. What I would say, and I've got a video on this on my YouTube channel, I can send you the link if you want to post it to, to your podcast folks, but it's called the Thousand Connect Challenge, right? And it talks about making a thousand meaningful connections with people in the industry. And so my number one thing for people who want to follow my footsteps is begin to network. And I'm not talking about creating, I'm not talking about just picking a thousand random people and making connections. And that's what people have a misconception of when I say this. I'm talking about finding people you admire, find jobs that you want to be in, find companies that you'd love to work for, make meaningful connections with the people in this cybersecurity industry and start to network with them. And so first and foremost is networking. The second thing that the second piece of advice that I would have for somebody looking to, to follow the steps is get your hands on the, the technology, on the tactics, the techniques, the procedures um, to help you be awesome 
at whatever it is you want to do, whether it's pen testing, whether it's GRC, whether it's it's blue team activities, right? There are there are hundreds of great educational lab platform type of uh, of entities out there where you can go practice blue team operations today, where you can go practice red team operations today, where you can go learn about risk and governance today, and that's stuff that is free. Which leads me to kind of my last point, right? When it comes to all of this. Do the free stuff first. One of the most annoying questions that I get, and I use annoying very, very loosely on this, right? Jokingly, that I get is, Neil, should I buy X cert or should I buy that cert or should I enroll in this boot camp or should I enroll in that boot camp? And my thing is, is we're in a we're in a digital age where YouTube is free. There are so many, so many free resources that exist out there that there's no reason that you can't accomplish the first 25% of your learning, 33% of your learning through nothing but free resources that exist out there on YouTube. And if you're not thinking about things like that, you can literally get a massive head start on, on so many people out there that aren't thinking like that by simply following those, those key pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks. And I know you, we, we've touched about, uh, you know, the, like the, the transition into the cybersecurity world. You mentioned like a lot of the, the old guard, you know, came from IT. So I had a follow-up question on that. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you feel about the role of uh, the CISO that's actually a part of the IT organization? I, I have never been a fan of it. I've never been a fan of it. I um, uh, wholeheartedly believe that the CISO needs um, a, a higher reporting structure. Now, where that is, I, I think, is up for debate, and I've seen a lot of conversations go a couple different ways on it, right? I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of it being under the CIO. I'm not a fan of it being under the CTO. I'm not a fan of it being under any, you know, traditional IT, you know, model whatsoever. I think it should be under the CEO. I think it should be under the CFO. I think that, that you could make a case for it to be under legal, although I think that that's probably, you know, less uh, one of the least popular opinions that are out there. Yeah. But I, I think the bottom line is, is you know, and, and I, there was a great example that, that I've got through my career, right? You are in charge. You are tasked with risk management and risk mitigation of the enterprise. And you come across risky IT decisions that have been made either while you're there or as a precursor to while you're there. And you have to tell the fiduciary responsibilities of that organization that there is risky things inside of their infrastructure. Now, whether that fiduciary is the CFO or the CEO or the board of directors directly, you have to go tell them of that risky decision. If you're reporting to a traditional IT, you know, you know, you know, cohort in that that org structure, you are now effectively ratting your boss out, who's going to write your performance review, who's going to recommend your promotion, who's going to handle your salary, right? You're basically ratting them out, and so you now have to have a negotiation with your traditional IT leadership that says, "Hey, look, I'm about to tell somebody that." something is really, really, really wrong with our IT infrastructure and you need to be aware of it. And now becomes a negotiation about how you bury that message, how you handle that message going to those fiduciary responsibilities, how you, you know, you maybe negotiate what you will and won't say, or maybe there's something that you do as a band-aid in the last minute to make it okay, right type of thing. And I don't think that that's right. And so I, I you know, I am excited for a day when we don't have the CISOs commonly reported under IT infrastructure, but at the same time, and, and just a longer answer to that, we've recently seen where the SEC wants to try to push cybersecurity in at the board level. 
And I think that that's great in theory and great on paper, but I'm less optimistic that that will have the effect that people think it'll have because you're still going to have business people there who don't understand what it is that you're talking about, who don't care what you're talking about, who are still going to drive business and shareholder value that are going to be independent of what, you know, you know, you know, is, is, is what's best for security, which we can, we've seen in the past is not necessarily always what's best for, uh, for, for shareholder value. And so I, it's a longer answer to what you wanted to, but that's, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of growth potential that we still need to see in, in how that reporting relationship works. Yeah. But I, I mean, on the other hand, like the answers I've gotten the, with the proponents of uh, being a part of the IT organization was basically something along the lines of you're much closer. And, and this is, you know, it, you partly answered that as well. You're much closer to to what's going on, and you have much more uh, um, effect capabilities. I mean, you can actually affect the decision. You can make it happen much uh, much faster if you're actually a part of that organization, as opposed to being outside of it and just you know providing guidance and and, and monitoring and, and whatnot. So this is what I'm hearing, like as as the pros of mm-hmm. of being a part of the ID uh, organization. I've heard uh, I, I've heard those pros too, but I I let me offer some counterpoints to those yeah, pros that please. that I believe in. Right, um, first and foremost, if you're in the IT organization and you feel like just because you and the the executive vice president or the EVP or the other senior leader, you know, just because you guys are peers to the CIO, does not mean that you get to affect change in the IT organization any more than if you were reporting to the CFO. So there's that that point number one, right? And so I, I think that there's some fundamental disagreement that just because your peers under the same C-level executive, I, I think that that's a misconception. The other counterpoint that I would say to that is in a business that is fiscally driven by fiduciary responsible individuals, there is no stronger influence than the dollar bill. And so if you report to the CFO as the CISO and the CIO reports to the CFO, right? Mm-hmm. Now you are peers with the IT organization. And if you say to the CFO, there is a risk here, and this risk could potentially cost you 15% of your, your uh, revenue in the case of something like GDPR. And the CIO is like, yes, but it could cost you $50 million to get that upgraded and it'll take three years to do so. Now you're allowing the CFO who has a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders to make a money-driven decision about the risk of that to that organization. And if they come to the CFO or the CIO and say, sorry, but that is not a risk that the business wants to take, here's your $50 million, go make it happen. Guess how much influence you have on the IT organization then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Point, to the, point taken. Um, what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? And you know, I know you, as you, you're creating a lot of content, a lot of resources out there, uh, free resources, but what is it that you consume? Um, so <laughs> there's, there is no shortage of information to consume that's out there, but there is also no substitute for finding people with experience and attaching yourselves to them. I think we're still so new in this industry. And I know it's still really hard to say that when we talk to people like yourself and myself who have been in cybersecurity for, for 20 years and what we tout as 20 years, it still feels weird to say it's still new. But there are things that we're learning every day and there's things that are changing around us all day and there's new, you know, new regulations, new attack vectors. You know, we see, I, I was 
doing a, uh, I was doing a, a conference. I was leading a panel with the, the MITRE ATT&CK team for, for a conference here recently and listening to how they're changing the industry with things like threat informed defense, which is a new way of looking at how you do your defensive strategy from a, from a CISO perspective. Everything feels so new that I don't really feel like there is a single source. As a matter of fact, I tell my viewers, I'm like, please don't just watch me. Like you better watch 50 people that are out there because there are, there are whether for every one of me, there are so many other people out there that know the same, if not more than me. And so you need to attach yourself to people. I think, um, I think finding, finding people you respect, finding people that you can learn from, and then, you know, you know, consuming their content and finding a way to be in the general proximity of their circle um, is huge, whether it's listening to your, you know, your podcast on a, on a weekly or a monthly basis, whether it's listening to my show on a weekly basis, right? Whether it's listening to any of the other, you know, casters that are out there on a weekly basis. Um, but if you were to ask me like specifically, dude, Twitter and Reddit, like I get 99% of everything that I consume comes from Twitter and Reddit. Like it is, it is a massive data lake of information, InfoSec Twitter and InfoSec Reddit. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, this is a fun question for me. Uh, is there one common myth about our profession or space that you wanted to debunk? <laughs> this industry is not all about hacking. Hacking is not the only job in, in, in this industry. I, that, is, that is hands down. I would argue that is hands down. The biggest myth that we have in our industry is that everything we do is all about hacking. And I tell this, I say to people, I'm like, because everybody who comes to me is like, Neil, how do I get into hacking? How do I get into pen testing? How do I get into red team, right? And things like that. And I'm like, you realize that in most fortune companies that are of a decent size, they may have a 50 or 60 or 70 person. If we talk about some of the financial institutions, like in the fortune five, where they have like 3000 people on their cybersecurity organization, pen testers represent less than 1%. They're mm -hmm. tiny compared to the amount of GRC people that we have, the amount of blue teamers that we have, the amount of, of architects that we have, right? The amount of product security folks that we have, right? Those jobs are so much more plentiful, so much more respected, so much more, you know, beneficial from you from a cost, you know, from a, if you're looking at things from a salary perspective, right? So the biggest myth that we have is that this industry is not about hacking. It's not. It's stop. I tell people on my stream all the time, like stop idolizing, stop thinking that the movie versions of, of hacking and cybersecurity is, is everything that we are as an industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Uh, you know, let's talk a bit about the industry. I know you have a whole podcast where you focus on this, but uh, just a couple of questions here real quick. In your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have? Um, I think I, that can vary pretty, pretty drastically. I think generally speaking, um, we're seeing cloud blow up. Thank you, COVID, right? I, I, I joke with people. I say most IT organizations had a cloud-first strategy pre-COVID, and then COVID hit and everybody accelerated their cloud-first strategies and truly actually adopted a cloud-first methodology. And now I think that, that we're on the other side of that, and I think people have realized just how disparate their IT infrastructures, um, their attack surface really is now that we are in a, in a 
cloud predominant type of environment. Now you may have been like, you were primarily on-prem and you may have had like one small AWS instance that you maintained. You probably now have a massive AWS environment. You may actually be multi-cloud where you do an AWS and Azure, right? Or you may be even doing all three at the same time, who knows? You know, you've gotten so big, you've got tools spread everywhere. There's there's tons of tools vendors out there that are trying to, um, um, you know, you know, sell you that their latest and greatest technology. I think we get inundated with new technologies like XDR all of the time. I think our our model for consumption um, of the amount of of technology that we have at our disposal, that the IT teams have at our at their disposal, which ones solve which problems in our organization. I think the 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 biggest issues that we have is that we've got too much. We've got we're, we've got too much that's out there, and we can't make a cohesive strategy about how to protect an enterprise or an organization um, to make woefully informed decisions about what the right answers are to to to, to those scenarios. Um, and, and I don't think that 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 it, that's been made easier over the 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 last couple of years with the way that the the working environment has changed. I think. Um, I'm very, very cynical um, on the advisory organizations that we have that are offering um, these magical charts that tell you which technologies um, are innovative and, and leadership and things like that. I am very, very cynical on that because I think that they, they don't give the right impression to people making technology decisions about what protects their organization. And then you create new categories or you create new illusions that says, oh, hey, this is a brand new category of technology and we think it's gonna do exactly what it is that, that you've been trying to do for years, right? And then everybody says, okay, well, how do I pivot my strategy now away from just doing the things that I need to do from a cybersecurity perspective to go buy this brand new technology and hopefully bolt it onto my current infrastructure and it'll solve all of my security problems. And, and so I think that there's, there's too much money, too much bad money being spent in cybersecurity to solve for services or technologies that are just not, not needed and not beneficial to the organization. Okay, so you know, as a follow-up to this, what do you think is worthwhile spending your money on? Again, not talking about your specific company, but generally speaking on, on, on the industry. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, I think you have a you have a fiduciary responsibility to the organization that you're tied to to identify, detect, and respond to cybersecurity threats. Number one, and number two, to enable the business to take risk. And I want to give a huge amount of credit to the uh, chief security officer at, at HPE Hewlett Packard Enterprises, Bobby Ford. He was the one who taught me that. You know, you know, years and years ago, I had an opportunity to to you know have a tutelage under him when I was building the 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 security operations team years ago. Um, and, and he said it very, very eloquently, right? If, if, if I want to go to, if I want to go to the bad part of town, right. And I ask my security detail, tell my security detail that I want to go to the bad part of town. Your job isn't to tell me, no, your job is to tell me, okay, let's get it done for you. Right. And so I think with those two things in, in mind, right. If you're identifying, detecting, responding to cybersecurity threats, and you're appropriately enabling the business to take risk. If you can sleep well at night knowing that you're doing those two things, I think you're, do, you're investing in the right areas. But if you have gaps, if you feel like you have gaps, if, if you feel like you're, you, you were sold a bag of goods and it never actually you know, you know, gave you the value that you wanted it to give you, 
then you've probably misstepped in one of those decision-making processes somewhere. Um, I don't think that there is a right technology stack. I don't think that there's a wrong technology stack. I think that every organization should create, um, you know, every CISO should have a reference architecture model that says at a minimum, I generally need to be able to protect X, Y, and Z, and here's how I'm going to protect X, Y, and Z. And that is the core to your, to your security business is protecting X, Y, and Z. And so I think it's more about, I would rather see us take a more strategic approach about how we protect organizations. And I know that sounds very ambiguous, but I think we've been very whack-a-mole. I know a lot of people say, well, I have taken, you know, I've taken a strategic approach. I've, I've done a crown jewels assessment. I've, you know, done a, a, um, a maturity assessment. This is where it says I'm immature, right? They've got all these assessments in place, but I don't think they've sat around and said, let's take a very, very diligent and directed approach. Let's make it as lean as and efficient as possible. Let's not listen to all these people who are paid to sell you stuff. Let's be smart about how we choose our tools. Let's be smart how we implement processes and let's take a more strategic approach to how we protect organizations. I think that that is more valuable in our industry. And I think that that will provide more assurances of security than anything else. And you can, I, I don't, I want to follow one more thing before I pass this one back over to you, right? You can look at countless breaches out there and you can see things like, you know, they had an EDR, but they didn't have anybody looking at alerts, right? So they got popped ransomware. They had, um, they had a pen test that said it was vulnerable here, but they weren't making any strides to, to remediate the issue. They had public S3 buckets, right? But yet they didn't have a methodology for how they were going to identify public S3 buckets, right? And there isn't a magic piece of technology that's mm -hmm. out there that's going to help you magically find publicly readable and writable S3 buckets with sensitive data in it, right? And so I think that that's where we mess up is, you know, APT isn't that advanced. What isn't, what is, they're more advanced than us and we're failing by simply just not doing basic common security things. Small okay. rant there, small rant there, but that's I'm, no, something yeah, yeah. I'm very passionate about. And, and, and thanks, thank you for that. Uh, uh, you know, my, my follow-up question to this uh, was, you know, in your opinion, what do you think we'll see in the cybersecurity world next? And, you know, that could be anywhere around technology, innovation, you know, new offering, whatever you, like it's this an is, open this this is something else that I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate for, but I've been, I've been doing a ton of like blockchain research over the last year. Um, I don't think blockchain will change the cybersecurity landscape in the next 12 to 24 months. But I do think that blockchain security as financial institutions, healthcare institutions, uh, gaming companies, right? If we look at a lot of the industries that are going to start adopting you know, blockchain technology, smart contracts specifically, if we're not ready to pivot and be in tune with understanding how that technology works, we are going to be just as behind on that as we were in cloud when people started to adopt AWS. Okay. So that's, you answered what we want to see basically in the cybersecurity world. Do you have any opinions on what's I coming? Love I love it. Keep me honest on that one. Keep me honest. I think that's fair. I think it's that's fair. I do, God. I want to pick on you just a little bit. I'm sure most of the folks that you have on this stream or on this podcast say something like AI and ML. And I am 
some of them some of them i am completely bearish on ai and ml that's why i don't think that that is a future conversation i'm one of those people who's like ai and ml is just a really fast binary number generator yeah (laughs) right i'm with you on that by the way for me ai (laughs) and ml are just a couple of buzzwords that people like to you know to throw around right now uh but but i have been getting some answers around like uh you know better detection better uh you know better response uh like combining a few of the worlds and automation these are the realms that i'm you know yeah i'm 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 completely i'm completely not aligned with that at all like i i don't i think better detections um i think that's chasing i think that's that's still whack-a-mole security right Mm -hmm. i don't i you know the attackers will always find ways to evade detection. So there will never be a better detection technology. There will never be a better detection mechanism. AI and ML do not solve this. I think that that is, you know, it's not, it's not kinetic warfare, right? If I put on my military hat, right? I can't build a nuclear deterrence for a hacker, for hackers to hack my organization. You're not going to build ransomware deterrence in your organization and so better detections are people who are clinging to this idea of 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 um you know you know you know this this defensive strategy that i will eventually be able to get to no threat in my organization and i think that's a fallacy um i think response isn't a technology issue i think better responses have to do with having well-trained people having well-defined processes and practicing them I don't think response strategies are about technology. Um, when, when you look at people who respond well to cybersecurity incidents and people who do not respond well to cybersecurity incidents, it has nothing to do with technology. Nothing. It has everything to do with your people or your process. And so I think that that's a fallacy in that realm too. Um, I think we're seeing the end. Mm, maybe that's a bit too extreme. I think we're seeing some realization that data centralization for detection strategies and response strategies is coming to an end, right? I think the days of saying, well, I just need to shove terabytes, petabytes of data into a central data lake so that I have visibility across the entire enterprise. I think we're starting to see people realize just how big that problem is, right? Mm-hmm. When you look, I was, ta- I was, I was at a conference, um, this was probably two months ago, and, and I was sitting with the CISO of Fannie Mae and um, and and he was saying some some crazy amount like three and a half billion events a day going into their data lake, and I was just like, "That's insane! That is insanity to think about centralizing three and a half billion events a day, right?" How can they even sift through? I mean, uh, even if you have all the automation in place and it's like. Sounds like an impossible task. Like you're yeah. set up for failure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I'm, you know, I don't, when, when we think about the, the old adage of people, process, and technology, there is a reason I put technology last, right? Because I think throwing, throwing technology at a problem to solve it isn't the answer. I firmly believe in, in well-trained, well-motivated people and solid, well-rehearsed processes, right? Um, you know, 
it, it, it was a strategy that we had in the military, both on, on the kinetic warfare side and on the cybersecurity side. You know, you, there's, a, there's this misconception, right, that, oh, yeah, the NSA is the greatest hackers in the world because they've got a billion zero days that they throw. Do you, I don't know if most people realize this or not, we rarely used zero days. When I was there, and, and this, was, this was, you know, pre-2013, right? So this was, you know, you, know, you could do the math to figure out, what, you know, the, the major cyber events that happened at that time, right? But at any one point in time, we had 12 zero days at that point in time. Do you think that we burned a zero day to gain access to some podunk computer out in the, the, the middle of nowhere? No, we didn't, right? We relied on tried and true, you know, you know, social engineering, um, bad password practices, you know, password brute forcing, things like that. And so, like, there's not this magic bullet that all oh, the NSA's got trillions of dollars that they spend towards cyber, you know, you know, capabilities, and therefore they've got the best weapons on the entire world. No, it's good people who are very well trained to execute their mission and solid processes so that they do it efficiently and effectively every single time. And so like that, that's where I think like when we look at detection and response strategies, mm -hmm. we need to start there instead of technology. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're almost coming to an end of, uh, of the time we have. So I just wanted to uh, pick your brain on a couple more topics here. Um, in your opinion, and I think you've alluded to that, but I, I just wanted to see if you have a clear answer. What are the most important skills in your opinion that CISO should have? Um, business skills, business skills. If I were to go back to college, uh, right now and take any course, it would, it would be an MBA, right? Um, I think that that is, that is hands down, um, something that we fail miserably at is to be able to convey the, the fiscal importance of what it is that we do in the cybersecurity organization. And so um, you know, having those business skills, having the ability to communicate with folks, having the ability to, to break complex topics down, no board wants to hear that you get hit with a thousand you know, attacks a day, right? They're like, so what, right? Who cares? And, and so we, we failed that, that, that litmus test for how we handle those conversations. So I think that is, that is skill number one. I think number two, and this one, I'll probably, I'll probably catch some flack for this one, but I'm okay with that. I think the first, the first rounds of CISOs that we've had in our industry have come from other parts of the business. And I've seen everything from you know, you know, best case scenario, they've come from IT. Worst case scenario, they've literally come from a non-technology background. They come from, you know, they come from, you know, the uh, the the SAP environment. They come from, you know, the the actual embedded business units, right? Maybe they were a, a, a divisional head of a business unit or something like that, right? And so I think that we've we've got too many people who don't understand i don't i don't want to say that we need more technical CISOs. i do think we need more technical CISOs, but i don't think that i don't i think it's a balance right i think that we need CISOs who understand understand miter not just understand what it looks like on a pretty powerpoint or on a on a slideshow but do they understand how to read miter attack right do they understand when when an incident responder says yeah they used a uh, they use the they use Mimi Cats to to you know you know get the credentials out of a out of memory on a Windows box. We have a CISO who goes, oh, why didn't our EDR pick up on that? Right, just that simple construct of understanding to where they could say like, well, clearly our endpoint detection is failing miserably, and I don't think we have CISOs with an understanding of 
the, the way that attack vectors work and the way that technology works around it to be able to make those in, informed comments. And that kind of leads back to some of the things I said before is that they, they think that by listening to some magic chart, that that's going to tell them the things that make that make their organization more secure. And so I think that there needs to be a better balance between the business-minded CISOs that we've picked up through the enterprise, who were some of the first first rounds of CISOs that, that showed up in organizations, and what I think we're going to start to see maybe in this next wave of, of you, know, you know, senior leadership that comes up that are slightly more technical, probably predominantly more technical. Yeah, but you're looking for a hybrid uh, type yeah. of CISOs, right? Like yeah. both business skills and some technical know-how. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so and, and I think this answers my next question, like, uh, which was, where is the CISO role going? So, so this is like where I think it's going right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, I think you, you end up, um, you end up with a CISO who, and, and maybe, maybe I'm thinking it'll be a unicorn. I don't know that maybe I, I may be falling, you know, victim to my own, you know, my own ideas here, but I, I do think that you'll end up with a CISO who can speak business to help the organization understand the business risk and the financial impacts. But at the same time, when their team tells them that they need something or when their team tells them that something isn't working or when their team tells them um, you know, their, their, their processes are failing or their technology is failing, they're listening to their team and they're not listening to random information given to them by people who are just there to make money type of thing. Okay, thank you for that. Interesting. Um, you know, in my experience, it's been very hard um, training people on the business skills. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's either, for, for, again, from my experience, it's either you have this or that. It's very unique to have both. And I think the ones that do have both, they're the ones that are, can really mature and move up the ladder. Um, again, just my opinion. I agree um, with you. I agree. It's incredibly hard. I think... Um, I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I, I think this sure. is where I, I think if I were to see maybe the next evolution of education, right, is 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 how do we get to that right realm, right? How do you look at a candidate and say, well, you're you've done a lot on the business side. Let's help make you more technical. Oh, you've done a lot on the technical side. Let's help you make you more on the business side. And we almost kind of need that dual path approach. Yeah to how we, we educate and train the folks who are coming up through the ranks in a security organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I'm gonna ask you a single more, uh, one more question, a single question about, about vendors. Yeah. If there's one thing that in your opinion, a vendor should never do, what would that be? <laughs> Promise to solve all your cybersecurity problems. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one, right? <laughs> that is an easy one. I'll tell you, um, I, I actually have, I've got a, I've got a, a, a clip of this that I, I actually had a vendor, one of my, one of my good friends, I'll give a shout out to him, Jeff Goals. He's a, um, he's a, one of the account executives or sales executives for Carbon Black. He's been my good friend for a long time. Um, he is a, he's a co-host on my stream um, on Wednesday nights. And, and he asked me one time, he was like, Neil, how, we've been friends for a while. He was like, he was like, how do you see successful CISO vendor relationships? And we talked through how him and I became friends and it really boiled down to just having a relationship. Listen, every CISO, everybody in a security organization, not just CISOs, but every CISO knows that if you get that little blue box on LinkedIn of somebody trying to talk to you, or even before that, the connection request, and it says account executive, 
sales executive, helping companies solve problem X, right? They are looking at that and they know that you are in sales. And right there, that will determine how they treat the next words that come out of your mouth because they know that the only, you're not there to say, how's it going? You're not there to see what the weather's like. You're not there to see how their kids are doing. You are there to sell them something. And so you are going into that conversation, Mr. Vendor, on the back foot because they don't want to talk to you because you are there to sell them something. And it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. They know that it's a sales pitch. And so with that being said, why throw your lot in the hat and hope that your marketing-driven sales message, that you've got some marketing person who wrote for you and told you to copy and paste into every sales message that you send out, do you want to bank on that? Or do you want to actually like build a relationship with your potential client? Do you want to go to my LinkedIn page, read my content, see my banner, see that I've got a YouTube channel, go to my YouTube channel, watch some of my videos, understand how I am, ask when you talk to me and I, and I literally was just on a call with a vendor this week, right. Who, who took this advice because they saw my videos. Right. And it was like, Neil, I actually don't want to sell you anything. I actually just want you to tell me what your thoughts are on this. I saw your video about that, you know, and I want to ask your opinion on that. I read your con. I read the blog post that you wrote on X. I read the comment that you made on LinkedIn to, to this person build a better relationship. And so if you're looking for like, like vendor advice on how you get better traction out there, treat me like a freaking human being. Don't treat me like just another sales number because I already know that that's what you want from me. We both know what it is that you want out of this. So let's just have a real conversation as people and I'll decide whether this is something I want to buy or not. Yeah. You know, I'm smiling because we, we had an internal conversation today and yesterday is exactly about that. And I, I used exactly the same word. So yeah, yeah that's funny. Um, thank you. Uh, you know, one last thing, if you yeah. had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? Would you do anything different? Personal life or as a CISO? <laughs> I mean, I mean, not, not unlimited. Let's say money was, wasn't an issue. What would you do anything different personally, professionally, whatever you want? Um, I, I would be so scared to change anything in my past that that I wouldn't be right where I'm at right now. And I'm incredibly happy. I'm incredibly grateful um, and blessed to be exactly where I'm at right now. And so I would not change a single thing about what got me to this point in my life right now. If, if unlimited money for me, right, would mean more about spending more time helping people do things that don't pay a whole lot of money, right? Making content on YouTube does not pay a whole lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. But I love to do it and I love to help those people. I would, I would take the freedom to see how many more people I could help. How many more conferences could I go to? How many more universities can I go to to bring more people into the industry? How many more conferences could I speak at? How much more, you know, how much more content could I do that would help more people? Honestly, how many, I would go to, I would, I would go to companies free of charge, small to medium businesses. I have a passion for helping small to medium businesses. People who don't have, you know, when I was working, when I was working for one of the companies that I worked for, I had a $50 million security operations budget, right? I could do some amazing things with $50 million in security operations. I'd love to go to the mom and pop 
who needs cybersecurity so much more, but can't afford a $50 million cybersecurity budget. And I would help them for free, right? Because I truly do believe that everybody needs cybersecurity. Hackers know that mom and pop can't afford EDR. Mm -hmm. So how do we get EDR on their, on their computers, right? And so to me, to me, money, money is an exit to do things like that for free. Understood. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And thank thanks you for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, just as a final note, and again, thank you again. And I enjoyed uh, like having a conversation with you. Uh, if people wanted to connect with you online, what's the best uh, platform to do so? Uh, best platform is either LinkedIn, Twitter, um, or you can, you know, and or you can go follow me on my YouTube page. Obviously, I'll give a, a quick plug for, for YouTube, Cyber Insecurity. Uh, on YouTube. Um, we've got a, a Discord there as well, where we've got, you know, 5,000 awesome cybersecurity, uh, you know, you know, people hanging out there on a, on a daily basis, talking everything from malware to education to, you know, latest hacks in the world to posting memes day in and day out. So um, find me, interact with me. I answer every DM. Um, that's, there's no doubt about that. I answer every DM. And so if there's any question you have, please don't hesitate to reach out. Okay. Thank you again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely.